Well, thank you very much indeed, John. Now, the pre-lunched session is always a difficult one. Finding somebody who can talk in that grim 40 minutes before people head off for their sandwiches is always a challenge. We tend to give it to our most ebullient speaker, and today is no different. Um, Joe Kane is senior lecturer in the history and philosophy of biology at University College London. He's an expert in the history of evolutionary biology, especially Darwin and Darwinism. His forthcoming publications include a new edition of Darwin's The Expression of Emotions in Man and Animals and a collection of essays on the new um, trends in the history of Darwinism called Descended from Darwin. Um, Joe has been a friend of mine for a long time. He's not someone crippled by shyness uh, when it comes to speaking in public. I think he will give us a lively talk talking about Darwin in London, Homes and Haunts. Joe. All right. Well, there you go. Um, I want to start the talk by just asking everybody to stand up, please. Just stand up, please. Just stand up, please. And now just stretch a bit, because you should. <laughs> just stretch a bit, and then when you're done stretching, just have a quick seat. Um, now everybody should have that yellow piece of paper. Just pull that out as you come to sit down. And uh, I think the organizers also have an A3 version of that, so if your eyesight isn't as strong as it might have been at one point, just raise your hand and I think they'll get that around. Does anybody want that A3 version of this map? Do the organizers actually have it? There you go. Just keep your hands up. We'll get them to you as we go. It is so hard to follow John and stand between you and sandwiches at the same time. My wife said, just be quick. (laughs) Which I I sadly won't be, but there you have it. All right. Uh, the, The map that you see in front of you is the map that you should have, and I'll mention those as I go along. Now, tell me, who's a London person? Who fancies yourself a London person? Also, raise your hand, too. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, I knew a bunch of you would be here. Well done. Uh, we're going to walk around London, and uh, uh, I want to point out the goal of my talk, really, is to talk about places, quite specifically places. Now, remember, keep your hands up now if, you, if you're looking for an A3 version of that map. They're bringing them around. They'll, they'll get the it's, the white, it's the white A3 version. There's a couple more down front. and I'll, I'll, They're getting more. Oh, good golly. I've underestimated more than 30 of you uh, need them. Just, just hold on. We'll get them uh, to you. Uh, but yeah, the goal of today is to look at places, physical places here in London, and um, uh, places that connect to Darwin. And I wanted to start off with a bit of a quiz. So if you've been paying attention this morning, uh, you should know the answer to at least a few of these. So the question that I, that I have for you, and I would like you to yell it out. Uh, yell out what you think the answer is. Uh, the connection is uh, the question is what's the connection to Darwin of the places that I indicate. Um, here's here's one example. Uh, does anybody recognize this place? You see how easy this is. Excellent. And the connection to Darwin is. Hey, well done. So we've had mentioned three times. Yes, that. Uh, God-awful plaque to Darwin that's there along with the slab uh, of him. That's the connection to Darwin, of course. He's buried in Westminster Abbey. No extra biscuit for you if you got that one. That just means you've been paying attention. Here's another one slightly that's not been mentioned today. Um, the, connection to, first, the connection to Darwin is what you should be thinking about. First of all, where's this place? Does anybody? Oh, see, I thought this was going to be hard. Well done, you. Highgate Cemetery, of course, Marx is buried there, and, and everyone goes there to 
to uh, stand in front of Marx. This is on, on Marx's birthday, a bunch of old Soviet types showing up, uh, drinking vodka and saluting the, saluting the man. Um, right, and what's the connection to Darwin then? Uh, certainly, yeah, certainly Marx sent Dust Capital to Darwin. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not clear if Darwin read it or dealt with it. I, I was thinking about something else. Not, Fellow the RSA. Uh, that's not what I was thinking, but may, maybe, yeah. So I heard the answer, so I'm just going to run to it like a like a dog to a bone. So so please forgive me. Yeah, if you if you're standing there to take this photograph and you look behind you, uh, you're standing on uh, Spencer's uh, grave, which is a bit ironic. But there you go. Uh, and uh, so the Marx and Spencer jokes you guys can make at lunch. That's perfectly fine. Uh, there, there's another connection to uh, Highgate Cemetery and and London, and that is uh, this fella who you'll be drinking near near his his uh, museum tonight, uh, Robert Grant. Of course, Grant is buried in Highgate Cemetery as well uh, as... Now, there's water here. I... I'd like to drink it, but... Um, uh, and Robert Grant's buried in, buried in Highgate Cemetery as well. The professor of zoology, first professor of zoology at UCL, the transmutationist Robert Grant, the student of Parisian natural history, uh, tutor to Darwin at Edinburgh, and so many other things. Right, so if you've got two, you're doing pretty well. Uh, you're heading towards us extra biscuits at lunchtime. Here's another one, slightly more tangential. What's the connection to Darwin? Upper Gower Street, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that later. Upper Gower Street's near Euston Station. Darwin loved to ride the trains. The Euston Terminus opened in 1837, uh, just around the corner from Upper Gower Street, and Darwin loved to ride the train. So he would walk through what now is remembered as the Euston Arch, or the or the screen, as I like to I like to think of it. And it and it's certainly the case that the train station to Euston uh, is that building there in between the in between the the uh, columns of the arches. And uh, this is the inside of the terminus, uh, roughly, uh, from about this period of time. And, and it's certainly the case that coming down from Camden Town into where now Euston Station is, the Euston, uh, Euston Grove Terminus, I'll just give you a sense of that, of the Euston Station at the time, ran six trains a day in the first year. You'd go from London to Birmingham, which was the terminus ultimately. Uh, in January 1839, the month that Darwin was married, 36,000 people traveled uh, on the line, including Darwin and, and Emma, on their wedding night because they wanted to get home to Upper Gower Street for their wedding uh, evening. And uh, uh, something that most people don't know is that the, there is a slight hill uh, between Euston Station and Camden Town, which is sort of the, on, on the way out of the, of the tracks. And uh, the, the locomotives weren't strong enough to pull the cars. So the way they, they ran it was at Camden Town, they would detach the locomotive and then push the, the carriages, the open carriages down, and you'd ride roller coaster down into Euston Station uh, with the brakemen standing between you and oblivion, uh, really. And then a... Then a um, more than a mile-long rope was brought down from Chalk Farm to connect to the end of the train and then haul you up, uh, back up to Camden, where they attached the locomotive. Again, so this scene, I love this scene because you can well imagine on, on a day like your wedding day, riding the roller coaster from, from Camden Town down into Euston Terminus uh, with your beloved, wondering what on earth is going on here. Uh, but, of course, the, this, this was torn down 
uh, much later, and the current Houston Station built around 1960. Going to be refurbished shortly. So, so Houston Station, what's the connection to Darwin? Darwin loved the train, and he sure rode that train a lot. Uh, uh, some of the Darwin scholars now talk about Darwin as being a high-tech, gadgety kind of guy, and this would certainly match uh, that. So, so, so that's number three, right? You guys still with me? Yeah, okay, well done, good, good. Thinking biscuits, thinking sandwiches. Good, okay. Uh, the next thing, what's the connection to Darwin? What's the connection to Darwin? What's the connection to Darwin? Don't say he swam in the river. First of all, where's this? Times Barrier, well done you. What's the connection to Darwin? Lots of fish. Subsidence, no. This is in fact my trick question. There is no connection to Darwin. So there you go. Just, you know, just keep us a sharp right. Okay, next one, next one. Let's be fair. This is number five on your, on your map. Um, uh, first of all, what is this place? The Linnaean Society. It's not the V&A. It, it, it is the, the Linnaean Society, the Geological Society, Burlington House, all the same thing. Royal Academy of Arts. Yes, definitely. You've got that. There's the entrance, of course. Geological Society on this side. Linnaean Society on this side. Um, this is number five on your, on your map, as I said. Now, you'd be forgiven if you thought that there was a strong connection to Darwin to this building. Uh, that, would, that would be false um, because this physical building is part of the range of Burlington House that was built at the end of the 1860s and into the early 1870s. So not strong connection to Darwin uh, at all, really. If anything, Darwin's borrowing by post from the libraries of these institutions that, at that time when that was built. Um, the real connection to the scientific societies is this place. No, where is this? So it's the ice skating gives it away, doesn't it? Yeah, Somerset House. Yeah, now Somerset House in the 1830s and 1840s, when Darwin is living in London and making use of London, as 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 John said, and as, as Jim and others will say later, that he, he Somerset House is the home of the learned societies. Really, in the 1830s and 40s, the Royal Society had been there for more than 50 years. The Linnaean Society is there. The Geological Society had been there for about 10 years. This is the place where Darwin uh, goes to those scientific meetings when he does attend them. Uh, for uh, as John said, Darwin's elected um, uh, to the Geological Society in 1836. He's elected to the Royal Society in 1839. He's elected to the Linnaean Society actually much later than this, in the, in the 1850s, and I'll mention that too. So Somerset House is the answer. What's the connection to Darwin? That's where the scientific societies were in Darwin's working time here in London. Uh, now back to Burlington House, back to, I'm, I'm sorry, Somerset House was number six on your map, if, that, if you, if you didn't, didn't know that already, number six. I spent a lot of time putting that map together yesterday, so I might as well use it. The, uh, uh, back to number five, back to Burlington House. Uh, this is the house of Burlington House, which is a, originally was a uh, 17th century uh, manor home and then covered, uh, uh, built upon in, in many different ways. And those ranges that become what now are the antiquaries, uh, the Ge Geological Society, Linnaean Society, and others, those were added, as I said, at the end of the 1860s. Uh, and it is in this corner here where the famous Darwin Wallace papers were read. Um, and the, the story goes like this. The government bought 
the government bought Somerset House um, around in, in the at the very beginning of the 19th century for public use for public service, and the learned societies moved into Somerset House. Then uh, they quickly outgrew Somerset House, and the government bought um, Burlington House in the 1850s uh, for public use, and the learned societies were essentially shifted there very quickly. The very quickly, the Linnaean Society and the uh, Royal Society moved there. So 1854-ish is when they moved uh, into this building here. So the Royal Society and the Linnaean Society is here. And that's why in 1858, when the, Royal so where, when the uh, papers are read at the Linnaean Society, uh, they're in this room here. In fact, has anybody been to this room in, at Burlington House? You'll see a blue plaque, or not a blue plaque, you'll see a, a gray, ugly plaque to uh, the Darwin and Wallace um, uh, papers presented here, which were the meeting rooms uh, in the Ro of the Royal Society here. So uh, th that's two. That's two locations. Number five and number six. The number five is Burlington House. The connection to Darwin. You'd be forgiven for thinking that it's the meeting rooms of the Linnaean Society where Darwin gave his uh, the Darwin Wallace papers were read. It's actually uh, in the in the big house as they as they call it. Right. Now, one of the things that John said, and, and I think Jim will say later, and, and something important in, in Darwin's time in London is that he's building a professional life for himself. Uh, I like to think of it as schmoozing, uh, but I'm not an intellectual person, so that's tea and biscuits for me. And you can, you can see it paying off. So here's the journal researches that, that one, one part of the journal researches that John was talking about, and Darwin's name here, but let me just expand that image of his authorship. And it's here, I think, where you see the social connections um, projected from Darwin's point of view. He's reminding you uh, in, a, in a particular way that, yes, he's a gentleman. Yes, he's been, had a university degree. But he's also a fellow of the Royal Society. And he's connected to the Geological Society. So when you talk about who is this guy, Darwin, uh, one thing you can see just from the title page is that, that, is that he comes certified by serious people interested in serious things. Now, not all societies are the same. So uh, back to the Darwin quiz now. So uh, this place, a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> London Zoo, but what's the connection to Darwin? I'm sorry, say that again? He went to look at the gorillas. Not the gorillas, but the orangutans. He's certainly the great apes. Yeah, certainly the great apes. Yeah, he sure did. The London Zoo, Darwin loved to go to the zoo. Uh, uh, certainly while he was in London, uh, went to the zoo to see the apes and observe them. And there's comments about them in the notebooks. Uh, that's certainly the case. Uh, uh, Darwin is elected, again, early on in that, in that period, just back from... The, just back from the Voyage of the Beagle and just back from uh, Cambridge, he is uh, elected a fellow of the uh, Zoological Society, and he's, he's a fellow of that group, using the library and the resources. Now, on your map, this is number seven. The, there's the Regent's Park Zoo up in the upper left-hand corner, but you also find that I put another number seven on, on the page. Now, the London's, the Zoological Society operated a couple of different locations in London uh, in the 1830s, uh, into the 1840s and into the 1850s. The second location moved around a couple of places, and, and for some part of Darwin's time, it was in Leicester Square. They operated a museum. The Zoological Society operated a museum uh, in Leicester Square, and that's why that other number seven is there. But I also want to tell you about the Zoological Society because... 
not all societies are the same in Darwin's life. And, and as he's socializing and as he's looking for, uh, for credentialing and, and for colleagues and for interaction, um, he doesn't like some of the things that he interacts with. And now, before, is anybody here part of the zoo? Well, I'm a fellow of the zoo, and I can tell you quite honestly that Darwin didn't quite like the zoological society. Uh, in fact, he writes in, in one of his letters uh, to Henslow, uh, one of his, his uh, mentors in Cambridge, uh, in 1836, just back from the, from the Beagle, he attends a meeting of the zoological society. And he, sa- he writes this, he says, I'm out of patience with the zoologists, not because they're overworked, but for their mean, quarrelsome spirit. I went to, the other evening to the zoological society where the speakers were snarling at each other in a, in a manner anything but like that of gentlemen. So not all societies are the same. Darwin is, is picking and choosing uh, in particular ways. He joins some uh, and, and really gets involved in others. Now back to that Darwin quiz. What's the connection to Darwin? Oops, no, no, no. What's the connection? What's the connection to Darwin? Where's this now? At the, at the, so you guys are fading, you see, after that stretch, and you're thinking about those sandwiches again. So where, where is this? It's the Athenaeum. Very, very good. At the Athenaeum. Yes. Uh, uh, Darwin is, a, is elected to the Athenaeum again in this period while he's living in London. Um, he sees that as, as an important step forward. Now, the, the Athenaeum was, was founded about a, a, a decade before in the, uh, in the 1820s, and that's when this beautiful Decimus Burton building is, is built, only painted, the blue Wedgwood bits are painted later, but it's such a beautiful building you can walk past today. Um, uh, it, it was seen as the haunt of, of men of inherited wealth and not much talent, and in the 1830s, the transition was underway in, uh, towards something like um, uh, uh, a club for the intellectual elite, um, and certainly Darwin's election, he certainly saw it as a pinnacle of that affirmation uh, as being part of the intellectual elite. Uh, my sense is Darwin used the library the most. This kind of building would have housed a, a library, a dining hall, or dining room, dining hall, a dining room, and uh, some uh, rooms for gentlemen to stay uh, w- whilst visiting London, and it's certainly the case. This is number eight on your map at the very bottom of Regent Street, number eight on your map. Uh, the the Athenaeum certainly has important things to say. I, also, if you ever walk to the Athenaeum, if you're ever walking around the Athenaeum, you'll notice right next door is the Travelers Club, open to anyone who had been uh, farther than 500 miles from London just basically past Paris, and Darwin certainly would have qualified there, a place for men to talk about their tales of travel and and exploration. And then right next to that was the politically-based reform club uh, for for men supporting the reform bills uh, in the the period. So Paul Mal is is quite the place, uh, clubland as they certainly call it. Uh, Back to the Darwin quiz. What's this place? Yeah, it's upstairs. See, I'm just, just trying to suck up to Simon because he's holding the timer on the talks, you see. Yeah, it's just upstairs. The beautiful now uh, revision seat. Yeah, the beautiful new uh, uh, galleries, of course. And But what's the connection? Uh, here, here, of course, is the, is the uh, 1843 print from London Interiors. Uh, uh, more to Darwin's day. You notice the glyptodon here and, and the megatherium here. 
And people always tell me that this is Richard Owen, but I'm not so sure. I don't know. I don't know that uh, particular thing. But this is the interior uh, version that Darwin sort of, certainly would have known. But what's the connection to Darwin then? Richard Owen. Yes, Richard Owen, of course. Richard Owen was no fool. He uh, schmoozed Darwin to get his collections, if nothing else. And uh, it's certainly the case after some very hard work by Owen that, that um, Darwin's uh, paleontological material, some of it, most of it at least, comes here. Um, Darwin first, though, considered not really the British Museum, but the Paris Museum, sending material to the Paris Museum before here. Mm, yes, indeed. Right, so back to the Darwin quiz. Back to the Darwin quiz. Now, here's a tougher one. First, what's this place? <laughs> Liberties, how? Of course, of course, Liberties. Yes, the, the mock Tudor 1920s uh, exterior there, built during a, a post-Great War revival of tradition, certainly. But what's the connection to Darwin? His house is on the site and Great Marlborough Street. That's certainly the, that's as close as we're going to get, I think. Uh, uh, the, uh, Darwin's house is not on, on this particular site, but it's very nearby. It's Great Marlborough Street. On your map there, if you see GTMST, Great Marlborough Street. Uh, so if you basically go from the Athenaeum up the hill, up Regent Street, uh, up the absolutely beautiful Nash uh, uh, urban planning, and you, you get to Great Marlborough Street. If you turn right, you walk past Liberty, and half a block later, you get to this building, uh, number 43 here. Number 43 is his brother's Erasmus's house. Erasmus bought this house in, or he didn't bought it, I'm sorry, he rented it in, uh, in 1836 in January, and it was huge, so huge that everybody in the family, as families do, come to London and stay, uh, come to London and visit. Char uh, Charles certainly was one, uh, but uh, at some point the family joked about Erasmus running the Darwin Wedgwood Arms uh, as the kind of tavern for people to stay. Now, if you, you certainly can go to Great Marlborough Street, the GTMST on your map, and you can walk to number 43, which I did just yesterday, and take this photograph of this building. But again, you'll be deceived because, as we heard earlier, from the 1850s onwards, massive rebuilding, refurbishing, changing of the buildings around London. This building is an 1870s facade, this uh, Franco-Italianate uh, style, uh, a bit gaudy for my own taste. But if you're standing at number 43 trying to take this photograph, let me ask you just to move to the left a little bit to number 47 or to number 49 here because those are two buildings that would have been familiar to Erasmus and Charles uh, in 1836. This is, uh, this is a uh, 18th century building, uh, very little modified since, and this is an, a, um, an 18th century building with a stucco facade added about 1830. So that the paint would have been drying whilst Erasmus was unpacking basically here, and uh, it's only slightly, slightly about here where number 40 is. So if you go over there to take a snap, uh, do keep an eye on number 47. That's a much closer representation of a house. In fact, this is two houses uh, uh, merged together uh, at the time. Okay, so number 43, Great Marlborough Street, is where Erasmus lived and where Charles stayed. Now, just again to remind you of the, the timeline, Darwin's back from the Beagle in October 1836. He spends a, a couple of months wasting his time in Cambridge just for John's sake, uh, wasting his time in Cambridge before he comes to the big smoke. And when he does come down after a few months, he stays with his brother for a bit. 
and he looks for uh, he looks for uh, a, a house of his ho- his own to let. Now I'm going to walk down Great Marlborough Street back towards Liberty. Uh, so standing basically across from Liberty. Now looking back down that street, and you can see here is uh, 43 Great Marlborough Street where Erasmus was. And if you just come down the street and around this corner, get yourself a nice cup of tea in Leon's. And if you did that, you'd be sitting in the ground floor of Darwin's, uh, the house that Darwin rented um, uh, in March 1837 to stay for a few years. And that's 36 Great Marlborough Street. Um, most people put it in this building, which is wrong. Uh, this, this building here is 35 and 36. And this is the 36th side. So do get yourself a cup of tea. They actually make very good coffee in Leon's. So have a, have a, have a sit there. You'd be sitting in, in uh, probably the dining room of someone letting that house there. So this is 36 Great Marlborough Street, as I said. And if you don't believe me, look at the address that's right there in the, in the stairwell. Um, this is exactly where Darwin uh, spent a few of his, his years before his marriage and before moving to moving uh, on. One little bit of trivia here is uh, if you're standing here taking a photograph like this uh, in, in uh, Great Marble Street, you notice this mock Tudor little bit. Now I'm just going to move the camera over to the right a bit to get a nice picture of that building here. But you'll notice that it's right along Carnaby Street. Uh, and I absolutely love this from a, I don't know, a social historian's point of view, how the social revolutions of the 1960s took place, no, not knowing at all that they're standing next to a place where the intellectual revolutions of the, 19, of the 1830s were taking place. Ah, oh, see, so you, oh, you guys like that. Very good. Very good. And then get yourself something nice and liberty. Excellent chocolate right inside that spot. Right. Okay, back to the Darwin, back to the Darwin quiz. And uh, just a couple more, and then we'll be uh, on the way to sandwiches. Uh, here's another one, and I know you know the answer to this. So what's the connection uh, to Darwin? From the back, what's the connection to Darwin? So he certainly lived there, yes, uh, Gower Street. That's certainly the case. And, and if you don't walk up there to the reception tonight, you can certainly uh, walk up there any other time. Uh, I want to uh, talk about what was called at the time Macaw Cottage. It's on your map as Macaw, just to remind you. At the uh, Torrington Place and Gower Street intersection, right across from the what now is the Waterstones, the old, the old Dillons. Um, if you walk up the street a bit, of course, you're on our home turf, uh, UCL. The great Wilkins building built in the 1820s when the university was founded, that neoclassical uh, uh, revival story. Some of you may have seen this image, which is George Shepard's 1835 printing. So about, uh, about eight years after the college is founded, if you go to the reception, you'll be walking down this way. And if you have too much to drink, you'll probably look like this background here somewhere. Um, Of course, all this has been torn away, but the Gower Muse is what the painting is called. The Gower Muse uh, remains now um, on the way. This is the earliest photograph of the University College. I date this to the 1860s. Nobody quite knows exactly when it was taken, but it shows the, the idea was build that great quadrangle that exists today, but it took quite a bit of time to get the capital together to do that. And so for a long time, this is University College London. And the, the collections that Grant had certainly are in, are in this building. As one of the students skiving off lectures, as you might have noticed. Right now, I want to talk a little bit about Macaw Cottage and the time there. Um, 
So, so hang on, a bit of a big picture first. Now, we're talking about 1838 to 1842, those years. And um, Darwin uh, proposes to Emma in November 1838, in November. In December, Emma comes to London so that they can look for places to live. Um, by the end of the month, they... Um, she had, by the end of the month, she had returned home, but Darwin had selected something, and without her direct permission, I like that idea, uh, without her direct permission, Darwin goes ahead and lets a house, uh, that's on Upper Gower Street, and I'll show you that in, in a minute, um, by the end of December, so I think he, he gets the keys on the 29th of December. An anxious young man that he is, he wants to move in that day, and it's not until the 1st of January, which is New Year's Day, that he, that he enlists Covington, his, his uh, assistant, and various movers, and he moves his stuff from Marlborough Street up to Gower Street. And that night, the 1st of January, 1839, is the first night he's in the house. Now, this plaque, <laughs> if you count the day he signs the lease and gets the keys, fine. But if you, the first night he's there, which is my wife's rule, the first night that you're there, that's the first night you're, you're there, that's wrong. There you go. Right. So that's the broad scope. The house, of course, is not there anymore. This is the closest, which is if you stand at the corner of Gower Street and, and um, Torrington Place, look across the street to this house here, and, and you'll see what basically the house looked like to give you a sense of the floor plan of a lived building uh the kitchen is in the basement if you can see that the kitchen is in the basement uh the dining room is on the ground floor uh the drawing room where emma's piano would have been as a as a wedding gift would have been there and then bedrooms nurseries and then the servants would have slept slept on the top floor uh darwin had a study on the ground floor in the back uh the back uh, overlooked a garden. Again, this is exactly the same building. You see the Darwin building uh, now here. So this is literally the one on the corner. This range is as close to the range that was there in Darwin's time as, as you can get uh, right across the street. And the garden here, 90 foot long, lovely 90 foot long garden, where Darwin would often be seen jogging, uh, trying to keep his his frame uh, an active man, no longer active in the big smoke. So so that's that's the the garden. Um, let me give you a couple of basic stories about this time in, in Darwin's life. I, what I really get out of the first couple of months of Darwin living in, in, in this place, 12 Upper Gower Street, is just giddiness. He's a young man who's, who's proposed, who, who, uh, uh, who, who's looking for his, forward to his, to his wedding in, in a month's time. He's trying to unpack. He's trying to sort things out. He's uh, doing things that excited young men do, like buying terrible furniture. Uh, when, when he rents the build, when, when he decides to sign the lease, he also agrees to buy the furniture that's in the house, which is like a lot of rented accommodations, uh, a bit crap. And uh, the house is called Macaw Cottage because amongst the things that he purchased were the curtains, which were bright yellow, and a sofa, which was bright red. And poor Emma, could you imagine having to keep that house uh, with the junk that your new husband just bought. So McCall Cottage comes furnished only because the giddy Charles uh, uh, did it. You can see in the very first, on the very first day that they moved in, on the 1st of January, uh, that Charles moved in, uh, 1st of January, 1839, he writes a letter to Emma, and he writes it, he addresses it, 12 
uh, Upper Gower Street, and he puts those exclamation points on both sides of the address. You can just see the excitement that this is the new, the new life uh, for him. The house uh, was a rented house, and there were previous occupants, and one of which is a fellow named Leonard Horner, who was a warden at UCL at, at the college, uh, and also comes into Darwin's life uh, in a very interesting way, in, in a, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Now, Gower, Upper Gower Street at the time was considerably less busy than it is today. Uh, it was, in fact, a cul-de-sac. There was a there was a, a um, the street was closed about the place where University Street is, or roughly where the gates to the university to UCL are. Now, uh, that was uh, this was definitely a cul-de-sac, so it was a quiet street uh, when they when they moved in. About fifty houses, twenty-five on each side. Um, the gate at the University Street certainly would have stopped things. Um, this part of London, uh, the upper at Gower Street. Uh, was was built around 1780, 1790, and it's part of an expansion out from Bedford Square. So on your map, if you look where the Macaw Cottage is and you just follow Gower Street down to Bedford Square, uh, Bedford Square was built up from about 1775, and then as the Duke of Bedford was, was growing his real estate uh, in this part of town, uh, Gower Street was being built out, out towards what was the... Paddington to Islington Road, which is now called Euston Road. So in, in increments, this is being built out. And the house that, that is 12 Upper Gower Street, where, where uh, the Darwins lived, that, that certainly was there about 1780, 1790-ish, and certainly was seen as a bit, of a bit of a plain house, I think is the best way to say. And again, the best way to get a feel for that is if you walk along the east side of Gower Street up from Bedford Square and just look west, you see these rows upon rows of these plain brick houses, now mostly hotels, uh, on the way up towards UCL and your drink tonight. Um, the, uh, now, as a lived space, 12 Upper Gower Street, the, uh, the, the great Darwin bibliographer in the 1980s, Freeman, uh, presented this image of Charles and Emma and their son coming out of 12 Upper Gower Street. It's a bit romanticized, but there you go. Uh, these images, which you've already seen today, uh, the wedding portraits, of course, of Charles and Emma, uh, two copies distributed uh, in various places. Now, as a lived building, 12 Upper Gower Street, Emma gave birth to their first two children. The Darwins uh, had 12, uh, I'm sorry, they had 10 children through their life. Seven survived um, uh, into adulthood. Two, the first two were born in McCall Cottage. Uh, William here was, uh, was born, I, I haven't done the math recently, I think 11 months after the marriage, uh, so that's good. Uh, William was born 11 months after the marriage, and Annie, of course, um, a few years later. They both were born in Upper Gower Street. Uh, William, in fact, it seems, was baptized in this place, which is the new church, the St. Pancras New Church, which opened uh, again in 1822, uh, consecrated in 1822. Uh, what a beautiful building, and it's quite clear now that, that uh, William was baptized uh, there. Annie was uh, although born in London, was quickly taken uh, home to Emma's family home uh, up north and uh, was baptized uh, there. Now, a couple of other, uh, one other thing I want to say about, about this time in Darwin's life, or Darwin and Emma's, Charles and Emma's life, 
is just to remind you of the great anomaly, at least we at UCL like to think of this, as the great anomaly, which is this guy. Uh, Darwin lives in number 12 of Bergauer Street. You could pretty much pick up a stick and throw, which I don't recommend, pick up a stick and throw it towards the Wilkins building and, and hit somebody walking around from the college. And uh, uh, Robert Grant certainly spent a great deal of time teaching and working at, at University College. Uh, Grant was one of Darwin's mentors in Edinburgh, uh, seemingly like-minded intellectually, uh, but it's quite clear that their relationship had grown cold by the time Darwin had returned, uh, uh, had come to London after the Beagle voyage and after a short stay in that dull place, Cambridge. He, um, uh, it's certainly the case that, that their relationship was quite cold. They, they interacted a bit, but I, the records are spare about that kind of interaction. It simply was just cold, I think. A couple of other things about that, about 12 Upper Gower Street. Hang on, we'll get to lunch, don't worry. Uh, moving out to Down, uh, of course, they move out to Down in uh, 18, uh, 1842. And in, you know, imagine, you remember how long it took to buy your house uh, and move. Uh, in the Darwins, with, when Emma was pregnant with their third child, the Darwins had outgrown both 12 Upper Gower Street, and I think they had grown, uh, outgrown London. Darwin had made the intellectual connections and established his re reputation. And if, if any time was, was fine to lead the crowded, crowding city, it would be now to get to uh, somewhere else. And so, of course, Down was eventually chosen. They, went, they first saw Down in July 1842. They decided to buy it at the end of August. Two weeks later, Emma moved in, which is fantastic. Uh, and then uh, Charles followed shortly thereafter. But as most of you know, the third child in the Darwin family was lost, uh, born uh, uh, just after their arrival in Down, and uh, died uh, 24 days later. Uh, so the move to Down uh, is filled with both joy and, and sadness for the Darwin family. What happens to 12 Upper Gower Street? Well, three things uh, happen to it. Um, one is it's refurbished. It becomes an office and, a, um, and part of a warehouse. This is after 1904 when the, there's already a blue plaque to Darwin there, but this building looked completely different to what it would have been it, as a lived house. Um, it was converted, then it was converted again, this time by the Germans, and uh, in 1941 it was uh, uh, open plan, uh, building and uh, sadly, of course, bombed as part of the Blitz in, 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 in a terrible evening when things were happening. And, and thanks to John for pointing this out to me. Of course, you can see the blue plaque or the plaque there uh, to the Darwin family. And uh, 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 it was ultimately torn down and then this building was, was, uh, was put up after it. The Biological Sciences Building built between 1959 and 1962 opened up as the Biological Sciences Building at University College London, and in 1982 it was rechristened the Darwin Building uh, when a new plaque went up with the same kind of error. Now, a couple of uh, things. I've got the five-minute warning, so let me, let me head towards a, a conclusion and remind you about the sandwiches. Now, see, my, my wife reminded me that sandwiches are good if they sit a couple of extra minutes. It lets the pickle marinate a bit, and, you know, so it's, this is actually doing good for your lunch. So hang on just a bit, just a little bit, a couple more minutes. Um, uh, to remind you of a couple of things. Now, I, I don't believe in telling alternative histories, but uh, now just to remind you, when Darwin returned from the Beagle and spent those few months uh, wasting time in Cambridge and then come to London, uh, he was quite the eligible bachelor. He was quite a man uh, 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 noted and seen. Not only did he have money and talent, but he had 
initiative drive, he was clearly going to make something of himself. And quite a number of, of people tried to push daughters in front of him uh, uh, as marriage prospects, particularly daughters who were finished, and finished in that very particular sense of well-trained, perhaps as artists or translators or uh, cultured in other ways. And one uh, one person who did this was that fellow that I mentioned before, Leonard Horner. Leonard Horner here, former warden at UCL, he had known Darwin in Edinburgh when, during those days, just only briefly, and they rekindled their friendship with a mutual interest in geology. Leonard Horner had uh, five daughters, all of which were superbly finished, and uh, one was married to Charles Lyell, so there's a nice connection. Their family interest in geology and and similar natural history things. Uh, this this uh, uh, row of buildings is uh, Bedford Place, which is near the British Museum, and it is number 10 on your, on your map. Number two, Bedford Place was the home of the Horner family uh, while, while Darwin lived in, in, uh, in, in Great Marlborough Street. And Darwin, very clearly, from very early in his time in London, uh, was flirting madly with the daughters, and the daughters were flirting madly with him, and, and the correspondents were going back and forth, and I suspect, as others do too, that uh, everyone expected one of those children to be the focus of, of a proposal from young Charles. Um, and it was so expected that when Darwin finally proposed to Emma, he hid from uh, Mrs. Horner, as <laughs> you might too. And uh, Darwin hears um, Darwin hears several stories from the Horner family about the proposal uh, when news comes that he has proposed to Emma and not to the Horners. And uh, 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 Lyle's wife, one of the sisters, uh, writes to Darwin and says, uh, your letters caused us some surprise, Charles, which is certainly true. And of course, Erasmus came across the mother, uh, Mrs. Horner, at, at some point shortly thereafter, and she made it quite clear to Erasmus that uh, Darwin was ducking out on something that was fully expected of him. Uh, oh, she said, uh, that's the reason he would not come by us. Uh, very often. So Darwin frequented this this house, number two, Bedford Place, for an, for what might have been a different history uh, as part of the Horner family. What's worse is that when Darwin and uh, when Charles and Emma were looking for houses um, in December, just before the wedding, Darwin spotted a lovely property just across the street from two Bedford Place, and very nearly uh, led it until uh, Emma said. Uh, no, I don't really think so. Uh, and they described the Horneritas, the, the other sisters there. Uh, Emma decided that it would be quite insulting for her to live across the street from uh, Charles's ex-girlfriend, I suppose, what you might say. Right, very nearly done. Uh, lots of things in London uh, relate to Darwin quite specifically. And, and uh, again, that's been kind of the point of my talk, is that, uh, that Darwin is really everywhere here in London, even though he, he spent a relatively small amount of time in the center of the city. And, and what I was hoping to do is just point out some of the very specific places where you can go today to sort of relive the moment, I guess, if you wanted to. Uh, I, I can't get out of a talk without pointing to this building, Crystal Palace, and the connection to Darwin begins with simply saying everybody thinks Darwin was a recluse. I mean, there's that myth floating around that Darwin kept out of, intentionally kept out of touch, and that's just a myth, really, and in the last 10, 20 years, that myth has been really fully exploded, and the Crystal Palace is a great example of that because Darwin loved going to the Crystal Palace. He bought a uh, 
ticket, uh, subscri- annual subscription for the first year so that he could attend, he and his wife could attend the opening day when Queen Victoria was there to open the palace in 1854. And the story goes that, that Emma broke down in tears when God Save the Queen was sung out there. Uh, Darwin wrote to his son, who was in, in uh, William, who was in Cambridge at the time, uh, uh, reminding him with various triangulations about how to get there by by rail. Now, one thing I don't know is if Darwin ever walked around this place, but he certainly walked around Crystal Palace Park with Richard Owen, and it's hard to believe that those fellas didn't walk past there. Right. Very nearly done. Truly very nearly done, and your sandwiches are well marinated at this point. Now, that map of yours that you've got, I just again, I just put all over some of the places. There are many others that connect to Darwin. You may notice this crookedy little line here between Nine and, and roughly, roughly uh, Macaw Cottage. If you wanted to, if you wanted, uh, on your way up to the reception tonight, if you wanted to walk in a way that kept you close to the 1820s and 30s, I've mapped out some kind of path that at least once you get to Holborn and, and north, you can walk by Bedford Place, Russell Square, which, is, which uh, was opened up in, in 1800, and so on in various places. It gets you, keep you as close to the 1820s uh, and 30s as it's pretty much possible to be on your way off to a reception. Finally, let me remind you a couple of things that I wanted you to walk away and remember whilst you're chewing on your sandwiches and looking for those biscuits that are rightfully mine. Uh, 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 The traces of Darwin are everywhere, and uh, if this talk has done anything, it's just reminded you of some of that, particularly through some of the scientific societies and the social connections that Darwin got himself up to. Anyway, you guys have been a great audience. Thank you very much. Enjoy your lunch. (laughs) 